0: We are in John 13. I titled the message this morning, A New Commandment. A New Commandment. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering together with your people around your word. God, it, it is your word that is life to us. It is your word that, that speaks to us. Lord, you have spoken to us most clearly through your word, and we can trust it. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of our hearts as we We look at what you would say to us out of John 13 and I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ we pray this in Jesus name amen so I thank Pastor Scott Roten for preaching last Sunday uh, from John chapter 13 Uh, he did a great job I, I watched him live in Colorado the live stream and I uh, there was a bubbling brook right in front of me, and I heard the noise of the, of the streams of the water while I was listening to Pastor Scott. I know y'all didn't experience that, but it was really wonderful of an experience. Me and Pastor Tim was, was there, and Pastor Manny and his family, we were at a cabin in Colorado, and uh, it was a great time there. And I listened to Brother Scott preach, and the last words uh, from the verses he, he covered was, and it was night." and it was night. Why was it night? Why was it night? What happened right before and it was night? Judas left. Judas left. The, the betrayer, the, the false disciple, the one who was not genuinely in love with Christ, he left. He, he walked out, and, and it was night. Literally, it was night, but I think spiritually it was night. It was darkness. The darkness was at its, at, was at its height in the heart of Judas, and so now... Judas is gone. The betrayer is gone. The one who is the false disciple is out the room. And, and Jesus has his true disciples with him. The 11 are with him. And, and we're going to begin this journey. It's going to be such a beautiful journey as we walk through John, the rest of John 13 and 14 and 15, 16, 17. We're going to look at the upper room discourse. We're going to look at the words that Christ is going to share with his true disciples. You've heard the phrase, to not cast your pearls before swine. And I think this is what's happening here with Jesus. He he wasn't going to share what he was about to share with the betrayer in the room. He wasn't going to share what he is about to share in these chapters that we're going to walk through over the next several months with a betrayer in the room. So once the betrayer left, once the false disciple walked out the room to do what was in his heart to do after Satan entered him, he says, okay, now... Now I have my, my dear children. Now I have my children here with me. Now, now I'm going to speak to their heart. Now I'm going to encourage them. Now I'm going to speak to them about what is most important. And you know, and if, if, you, if you think about it, if you had family in the room with you, and you knew that in a matter of hours and in, in the years to come, that they were going to be experiencing some of the greatest challenges and trials and temptations of their life, what is it that you would say to them? What would you start the conversation with? What would you start out with? And I think this is what we're going to see. We're going to see the beginning of this conversation that Jesus is having with his true disciples to in some way prepare them for the cross. So my, my, my question is, is, how did they do with his preparation? I think it was a little bit of a struggle, wasn't it? Peter, Peter denied the Lord three times and everyone left. You had the women that were there at the cross, but the disciples scattered and they fled. But Jesus is still trying to prepare their heart. And I think, I think you could get probably post-resurrection and the things that the Lord spoke to them. It, he said that the Holy Spirit, and we'll see that, is going to remind them of all the things that he taught them. And so Jesus is preparing them. And this is what we're going to look at. What does he start with? What does Jesus start this conversation with? So let's look at the text, John 13, verses 31 through 38. What does he start with? What's the most important thing to start with? Let's look. And when he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet for a little while, yet for a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Wow, what a text! Isn't that amazing? This scene, Judas just left. Judas just left and Satan entered him and he left. And Jesus said, whatever you're going to do, do quickly, Judas, go out. And, and he's, 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 he's looking for the 30 pieces of silver. He's, he's ready to betray Christ. And Jesus leans in to his disciples and he says, you cannot come with me now. Now, what he's not saying here is that they cannot come with him to heaven. He had already said that to the Jews in, in John chapter eight. He says that, He told the Jews in John chapter eight, "Your father's the devil. You can't come with me to heaven, right? But what he's telling them here, he's telling these true disciples, he's saying, I'm going to the cross to do something that you cannot do right now. And I now is the son of man glorified. Now will the father be glorified through the son. So what he's saying here in this first section to the disciples is, is, is I'm going away to do something that you cannot do. Only I can do this. Only I can absorb the wrath of God for sin. And this is what he's saying here. But then he leans in and he says, okay, here's what I want you to know. Here is a new commandment. And, and so this is what we're going to look at primarily. We're going to look at this new commandment that the Lord has given. This new commandment. And then we're going to look at the impact of that commandment. And then we're going to close with looking at the difficulty that comes in obeying this command. So we're going to look at the commandment, the impact of that commandment, and the difficulty that comes in obeying this command. So the first thing we see is that we are commanded, point one, to love one another as Christ loved us first. Isn't that what the text said? We are commanded to love one another as Christ loved us first. Look back to John 13, verse 34. After Jesus said, it's time for glory. The cross will bring glory. The Father will be glorified through my commitment to the cross. Then he leans in to his disciples, and he says, in essence, he's saying, come in close, listen to what I have to say, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Why, why did Jesus say a new commandment? Was it was it a new command to love people? Was that a new command? No, no, it was not a, it was not a new command. It, 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 was, it was a command in the law of God. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So the, a love for God was an old command. It was a command that, that they knew and understood. And then also in Leviticus 19, not only are you to love God, but you're to love what? You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this new commandment has a different basis. The commandment in Leviticus 19 was that you should love each other as you love yourself. How many of you love yourself? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. For no one ever hated his own flesh. What do we do because we love ourselves? We eat. We eat. We eat food. We drink water. We sustain ourselves because we love ourselves. We know we should not be uh, overcome with self-love, but But the reality is, is that the basis of the love we see in Leviticus 19 is that you would love one another as you love yourself. And if you love love other people, your brothers and sisters in Christ in the world, like you love yourself, it's going to be a really loving place out there, wouldn't it be? But this is not the basis of the new commandment. This is not what makes it a new commandment. What makes this a new commandment is the basis of the love. Look, look back to the text. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So now it's not love each other like you love yourself. Feed each other, clothe each other, care for each other, be gentle with each other. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. No, now Jesus says, here's a commandment. Listen, listen, my brothers. Judas is gone. You are my dear children. Did you hear that in the text? He called them his dear children. He's saying, come in close. Listen to my heart. I'm giving you a new command that you would love each other as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And you know what's so powerful about what Jesus is saying here? Is that he he is it's not just his words that are communicating his call and his command for them to love brothers and sisters in Christ. He gave them actions, did he not? Two weeks ago, Pastor Matt was in John 13, and, and the section he covered was the washing of the disciples' feet. And listen, listen to what he says here in John 13. Let's go back to a couple weeks ago. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You understand, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, and so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. Do you see it? Do you see it? He gave them a physical example of what it means to love one another in a self-sacrificing way, and then he leans in after Judas leaves, and he says, brothers, brothers love one another as I have loved you. He said it, I've given you an example. Follow my example. If I am your Lord and I am your master, do as I do, As I do, follow my example. And what an example, is it not? It was so hard for me to, to not preach John 13 and the washing of the feet. I told Matt, you know I really love you. I'm giving you the, my favorite section in almost all the New Testament, John 13, one through 20, and the washing of the feet and the putting on of the towel. And you think of that moment he puts on a, a servant's towel, and he does the the, the task of a, of a, the, the lowest of of the slaves of of his day, and and he he can, and he takes it. Can you imagine it? Can you see it? He takes Judas's feet, and he dips it in the basin, his feet in the basin, and he washes Judas's feet. And he takes Peter. We talk about Peter later on in this message takes Peter's feet, the one who's going to deny him three times, and he dips Peter's feet in the basin, and he washes Peter's feet, one who's going to deny that he even knew him three times with a curse. What what an example of love. Jesus is saying, love one another, my brothers, as I have loved you, and I've given you this powerful example to follow. I, I, I put it like this. Judas was a living example of how not to love, and Jesus was a living example of what genuine love looks like and This is what Christ has done for us, my brothers and sisters. He may not we may not have been in the upper room, we were not in the upper room, right? He did not wash our feet and and, and, and some of us would say well i'm, I'm really i, I wouldn 't consider myself a, a a Judas for sure, and, and i, and I wouldn 't want to be like a, be like a Peter, and we would never call ourselves an enemy, a betrayer." A betrayer or a denier, but that's what Scripture calls us, does it not? Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did Christ die for righteous people here today? No, he didn't die for a righteous person. He died for ungodly people. Those are the ones who need dying for. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates, follow my example, Jesus says, God demonstrates, he demonstrates his love. He shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled. We were enemies. We were ungodly. This is the example that Jesus is giving his first disciples in the upper room after the betrayer has left the room. He says, I've given you the example. The call is that you would love one another. And he gives them the call to love the world, to go to the world. Later, before his ascension, he says to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? He gives that call, but now this is about us, family about us he's looking at the 11 Judas is gone Judas is out it's us it's family business love one another as I have loved you I laid down my life for you you were enemies you didn't want anything to do with me you were my you were my betrayer you were my denier and I've given you this example what an example our Lord has given us that that's how we should love one another I know many of you, you probably, you might remember, and I talked about this in 2019 when it happened, but there's a story, an example of this type of love. If you remember the story of Amber Geiger, she was a police officer, off-duty police officer, and she gets off late after a shift, and she has her, her weapon with her, and she lives in an apartment complex, and she, she gets, walks up to the wrong floor, And so her room, I don't remember the exact whether her room was on top or below, but she walks to the wrong floor. It was indirectly in line with her apartment, but the wrong floor. And she walks into what she thinks is her apartment. The door happens to be open, so she's a little skeptical. She draws her gun. When she walks in, there's a man in what she thinks is her apartment, and she fires her gun and kills him. And the guy's name was Botham Jean. And so she goes, she gets arrested, she goes to trial, She gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. And Botham John's brother, his name was Brant John, after the sentencing she had been sentenced, he approached, he, he asked the judge if he could speak to Amber Geiger. And this is what he says. He says, I don't even want you to go to jail. I want what's best for you. Because that's exactly what Botham would want. And the best would be for you to give your life to Christ. And then he asked the judge if he could come down and hug Amber. And maybe, maybe many of you saw the video. She, he, he goes down and he hugs Amber. And she's crying and weeping and he's crying. And, 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 and you see this beautiful picture of what it means to, to love someone like Christ loved us. What a powerful physical, physical example. And even, it was amazing, you read the rest of the story, the judge goes back to her chambers and gets a Bible and gives it to Amber Geiger before she leaves and says, your answers are in here. What a powerful story. What an example in today's time, but what an example of love that Christ has showed us. So so my question for us today is we, we think about this commandment that God's given us to love one another. The question is, what about us today? What about us? We, we have the most in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? Some of you here today, you have more in common with people that are in this room than you have with your own flesh and blood. Some of you, you go home and your, your, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, they don't know the Lord. They're not following the Lord. And it's, it's a burden to you, and it weighs on you. And when you come into this building, in this sanctuary, you have the most important thing, the most important reality in this life in common with all of us that are believers here today. We have what is most important in common. So my question is, what about us today? Even though we have what's most important in common today, yet our tendency is towards Division. Our tendencies towards division. We are prone to division, to slander, to backbite. I'm talking about us, 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 not the church down the street, not the church that we talk about down the street, but our church. This is family business here this morning. You guys, you guys, ready for some family business? This is family business. I'm talking about our church, us together. Right? We 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 gossip, we slander, we backbite. We believe the worst instead of believing the best. We believe the worst instead of praying for the best with one another. Sometimes we'll say things like this. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear that? How many of you started a conversation like that? Lord, help us. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe what they said? You know what I, I, I think is so powerful about this example that Christ is giving is that, is that he knows that they need each other. Those 11 disciples in that upper room, he starts the conversation, this beautiful discourse we're going to walk through over the next several months. He starts it off by saying, brothers, love one another as I did with self-sacrifice, with humility. Love as I have shown you love. Why? I think what he's saying is, is because you need each other. You are all that each other has. He knows what they're about to walk through. He knows that where they're at, the Roman Empire is going is to is gonna begin to kill them off one by one because of their faith in him. And he knows that they are all that each other has. And, and, and the same is true for us today, my brothers and sisters. May we never be guilty of slander and backbiting and gossiping amongst each other. May we love one another, pray for one another, support one another, care for one another. May we, here's here's such an important one right here. May we believe the best about each other. Would you believe the best about each other? The one to your right, to your left, behind, in front. Would you believe the best instead of believing the worst? When you hear what appears to be bad news, would you say never? I would never believe that about my brother and sister in Christ until I know it personally. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to pray for the best, right? Our Lord knew that this is what they needed. And you know, the truth is, is that we are part of a new community that was birthed after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we truly are a family. And so as a family, here's our call. This is the, this is, this is the walking point for this first section here. We believe the best. We work things out. We work things out. We pray for one another. We agree to disagree in a spirit of, of unity. How many of you ever disagreed with a brother or sister in Christ? How many of you have, have had relationships that have ended with a brother or sister in Christ and you think, I, I, I didn't want that. This is how it happened. May we strive hard to work together with one another in unity when we disagree. May it be true of us that we agree to disagree in a spirit of unity. And here's, here's the most powerful one, I think. We work together for a common purpose. We work together for a common purpose. Like, like this back to school outreach. This is an amazing opportunity. We work together for a common purpose. You know, the work is great, my brothers and sisters. The work is great. Think, think of all the people that are in our community that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the people you drove past to get to church here that are still in their beds, still at home, aren't going to church anywhere. Think about all the ones that you work with, and you go to school with. The work is great, and we need each other. And the commandment from our Lord is that we would love one another. So how serious does our Lord take love and unity within a local body? Well, I think he takes it serious and he shows us there are 59 one another's, one one-another statements in the New Testament. Love one another, care for one another, greet one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. There's 59 of those statements. Fourteen of them is a call to love one another. I think it's in your handouts. It should be in your handouts. If you flip your handouts over, it should be there, or you should have a separate handout. Do you have the list? The fourteen love one another. That is the most of the fifty nine. The the second most of the one another's is four commands to greet one another with a holy kiss. So which ones do y'all want to work on? You want to love one another or you want some kissing to go on? Which ones would you guys like? Well, 14 times we're called to love one another. So I'm going to kiss on my wife. You can kiss on your spouse and we'll be good. But I, I think it's the idea of hospitality and genuine brotherly love. Um, but that's how serious God takes loving one another. Christ takes us loving one another. 14 times in the New Testament we are called to love one another. Amen? So that's the first thing we see. We are commanded to love one another as Christ loved us first. Secondly, here's a second thought, because loving one another as Christ loved us will validate our witness. We're commanded to love one another as Christ loved us first because, secondly, loving one another as Christ loved us will validate our witness. Look back to the text, John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you were my disciples if you have Love for one another. So now, Jesus shifts from the new commandment that he gives them to love one another to the implications of the command. And notice the phrase that he uses. He says, By this will all people know. People will gain knowledge by how they see that we love each other. And these words, by this, you will know, John uses that language a a, a lot in in his gospel, but then in his little letter, 1 John, 15 times in 1 John, he uses this phrase, by this, in some kind of way, by this, this is how you're going to know. Here's here's three of them. Uh, This is 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, by this, we may know we are in him. Uh, 1 John 3, 9 and 10, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. And then 1 John 3, 18 19, Beloved, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in deed and truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. So by this, all people will know. So because of our love for one another, because of the way we are, we care for one another, we love one another, we we support one another, we believe in in one another. We believe the best instead of the worst. We don't gossip, backbite, slander. We support one another. By that, all people will know that you are my disciples. Well, who are the all people? Well, all people, the implication is not only will brothers and sisters in Christ know that you're a believer because of the way you love each other, but the implication is, is that the world will look at that and will say, wow, look at how they love one another. Look at they look at how they support one another, they care for one another. The outside world will take notice. Jesus is saying that the world will look at how we treat each other and how we act different, and they will take notice. By this, all people will know. So there's an overarching uh, thought here. Here's the overarching thought, thought. Believers should be different, live different, in the middle of a pagan society. That, that, that's the overarching thought, that our life should be different. And and one aspect of a life that is different is the love we have for one another. But the overarching thought is that all of our life, all of our loves, loves for each other, the love for our spouse, the way we treat our kids, our family, the way we work, the way we live should be different in the middle of a pagan society. And here's something, here's one way to say it. Christians should always be recognized by how they live and by how they love. Christians should always be recognized by how they live, by how they love. I have a little caveat to say here about how we love. We should always be recognized by how we live, and and the world wants us to be recognized by how we love, and that love has to always approve of their sin. But I want you to know that we will stand out by how we love, and and, and by the way in which we love, it may not always seem loving to the world, because we will hold true to what God's Word says about marriage and sexuality and gender right? What it says about adultery and fornication and pornography across the list. We will hold to the biblical truth that there is one gospel, there is one way to heaven, that Jesus is the only way. There are narrow truths that we believe and the world will say, you're so unloving because you hold to these polarizing truths. But in essence, it is the the most loving thing that we could do to speak the truth, to live the truth. Amen? So Christians should always be recognized by how they live and how they love. I love early church theologian Tertullian noted. I think it's so neat what he says here. He he said that the pagan society in his day often said, see how these Christians love one another. And Tertullian ob- observed, quote, this love is a powerful apologetic for the gospel. In essence, it's a powerful defense of the gospel. Is the gospel true? What? What Tertullian is saying is that the pagan society looked at the Christians and they could see life transformation. They could see that these people who were living one way now were living differently. And in the spite of persecution in the first century church, they were holding their ground. They were standing for truth in spite of the persecution. So Christians live different. Christians live different. They should be marked by a love for Christ and a love for others, and the world will take notice. Isn't that what Christ said? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? What did Jesus say about how a life of a Christian should look? Look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. This is believers. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying here, and what I think Jesus is saying here in John 13, is that, is that our lives should be demonstrated by love, should be, should be seen for the love we have for one another. The world will take notice. By this, they'll know. And he's saying here in Matthew that it's like we're a light in the world. So what Jesus is saying in John 13 and Matthew 5 is that there are no closet Christians. There are no Christians who are undercover. Christians. Christians are light. Christians are salt. Christians stand out. To be a Christian in the midst of darkness means that light will be seen wherever you go. Amen? So it's, 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 it's not true that, that you can just keep your religion to yourself. Isn't that a popular phrase? I, you know, it's, it's, it's a personal faith. It's, it's you know, I have, my, I have my personal faith and I have my social media life. I live a certain way in social media, but, but really I am a, a Jesus person, right? And it, but, but that's private. That's just my thing that I do, right? That, that's an oxymoron. That doesn't work together with what the gospel does. What does the gospel do? When a heart's been transformed by the gospel, what does it do? It completely changes you. Completely changes you completely transforms you from the inside out. This is why there will be distinguishing marks, as Pastor Manny read from Romans twelve. This is why there will be distinguishing marks that will set us apart as followers of Jesus Christ or said and, and said another way, Christianity is not a religion of outward works that make you a Christian, but rather of faith in Christ whose resurrection power dwells in believers to transform them from the inside out. Amen? That's the difference. We're not a religion that we hide off in the corner and our life is not transformed by it and we go, we're priesters, we go to church for Christmas and Easter and it has no impact in our everyday life. That's not Christianity. It's not possible. The gospel will change you from the inside out. Amen? You remember? you remember what happened to you whenever your heart was pierced with love for your spouse to be? You remember that? Oh, I remember. I remember the first time I told her that I loved her. I remember that moment we're standing outside in her dad's driveway on Sugar Ridge Drive, and it was like we had said we weren't going to say that we loved each other until we knew we were going to get married, right? We made this commitment. She wouldn't let me hold her hand. I couldn't kiss her. I mean, It was just like I was working hard for everything I could get. <laughs> and, I mean, this love is welling up in my heart, and I'm looking at her, and, I, you know, I'm not getting in, in any loving in any other way, but I had so much love to share, It. I looked at her, and I said, I love you, just like the spontaneous combustion. I love you. And she looked at me, she's like, I love you too. And it's like instantly we knew at that moment we just got engaged. (laughs) We knew we got engaged in that moment because we had made a commitment that we weren't going to say we loved each other until we were ready to get married. It was like, hey, I guess I just got engaged. (laughs) But you remember that moment when love pierced your heart for your spouse to be? What happened? It started in here. And everything changed. Everything changed. Your whole life was changed for the good. The sun rose and set in your in Estelle's in, in face. Like it was Every I woke up thinking about her, I went to bed thinking about her. I talked to her on the phone, the landline phone when we woke up, when we went to bed. I wrote emails to her on AOL email back in the day, she wouldn't get a cell phone. I just I was enraptured with her, and I still am. Everything changes. It changes. So what about you? Has everything changed for you? Do you have a relationship with God that is based upon how good you are? The works you do, the church attendance you perform, the sacraments that you do, right? How about you, has everything changed yet? Are you still in a religion? Have you transferred over into a relationship with Christ? Has the gospel transformed your heart? Or said like this, the good news, here's the good news, the good news is that there is nothing you can do to save yourself and that salvation is completely because God set his love on you. That's the good news. And that's the gospel when that good news grabs your heart, your whole life changes. When you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, your whole life changes. When you understand that as we took the Lord's Supper here this morning, that he absorbed the wrath that you deserved because of your sin, your heart's completely changed. Your life changes. When you do, everything will change. And here's the, th- here's the thing. Here's the point of the whole message right here. Back to John 13. When you do, everything will change. You're not a Judas. You're not after money. You're not after the 30 pieces of silver. You're not Peter who wants to deny Christ. When you do, everyone will take notice. Everything will, everyone will take notice. And suddenly, you will have this deep love for your Savior. And suddenly, you will have a deep love for your new family. Amen? That's John 13. Brothers, come in close. Listen. 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 The betrayer is gone. Judas is gone. He really wasn't enraptured with my heart. He really didn't believe. You believe. You're my disciples. And I'm telling you, what you need to know is, is you need to know that, that you have each other's back. You need to know that if, any, if no one else believes in you, no one else prays for you, no one else supports you, you need to know that your brothers and sisters will. So I need you to love one another just as I showed you by washing your feet. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Just a little side note, not in my notes here. Can you imagine what it would have been like when the disciples thought back to that upper room foot washing? We get the privilege of knowing the whole story. Can you imagine Peter thinking back after he denied the Lord? I think perhaps when Peter wept, and we'll get to this in John chapter 20, when Peter wept over his denial of the Lord, since he wept bitterly, I can imagine in his mind he saw Jesus bent over with a towel washing his feet. And I can imagine in that moment, and there in the moments to come, they, they would have probably thought back, do you remember when Jesus knelt down and washed Judas's feet? Can you imagine that? I guarantee you they thought about that, and that, that stirred love. It reminded them of the love they have to have for one another, and this is what we have to have. And when the world sees that, they look at this new community, they look at this family, they look at this love, and they say, man, I want that. That's what I want. That's what I want. So we're called to love one another as Christ has loved us first. Why? Because loving one another as Christ loved us will validate our witness. And lastly this morning, as we close, ignoring this command is much easier than obedience. Ignoring this command is much easier than obedience. Let's let's finish this text here. Back to John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you you will follow afterward." Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I I will lay down my life for you. Jesus tells him, will you? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. I'm so blown away by, by, by this reaction from Peter. Peter is constant entertainment when you read about Peter and his responses. Jesus Judas leaves. Jesus, in essence, says, dear children, come in. Listen to what I have to say. Love one another. And what does Peter say? Where are you going, Jesus? Okay, let's, let's, let's go back again. Judas leaves. Jesus pulls him in close. My brothers, my dear children, love one another as I've loved you. What would you say? What would you respond to Jesus, if you heard him say that, you would say, yes, Lord. Yes, we will do that. We will obey you. But ignoring the command is much easier than obeying the command or even acknowledging the command, is it not? Peter gives us that example. He, it's like he just ignores it. He says, in essence, this is kind of what I wrote down here. All right, all right, all right, we get it. We need, we need to love each other. We know that Leviticus 19, what Leviticus 19 says, but we want to know where you're going. We want to know what, where you're going. Where, where are you going, Jesus? I believe Peter's response here represents a tendency that we all have as disciples of Jesus. And here's the tendency. We ignore what we think is not as important for what we think is most important. Right? That's what Judas did. I mean, excuse me, that's what Peter did. Peter, Peter ignored. He didn't respond to Jesus' new command. You would think it'd be important. Here, here's a new commandment. Right? This is a new commandment. And he ignores it and says, I'm really not worried about what you just told me I need to do. I'm worried about where you're going. And we do that. We ignore what we think is not important in God's word, and we we do what we think is most important. And a lot of the times, the things that we think are not important are the things that the Lord is wanting to press into our hearts. We are just like Peter. We're just like Peter. I mean, so think about it a, a, a little more. Peter's response is, is in essence a rejection of what Christ has just commanded him to do. And so what do we see in Peter's response? I, I, I think we see four things here. We see, I kind of coupled them. We see immaturity and ignorance, don't we? Immaturity and ignorance. What does he say to Jesus? After Jesus says, love one another, I've loved you. He says, where are you going? And he says, why can I not follow you? Immaturity and ignorance. He doesn't understand. So we've got to cut him some slack, right? He doesn't really fully get it yet but it's immaturity and ignorance. And a lot of times that's, that's how we respond to God's word. We're immature and we're ignorant about things. And so we will ignore what God's word says because we're just immature in some areas. We're just like Peter. Well, here, here's the, the, the other coupling of, of what we see in Peter. Self-assurance and pride. What does he say? I will lay down my life for you. Why can I not follow you? And I'll lay down my life for you. I'm going to go with you, Jesus. And I'll lay down my life for you. I'm going to do it. Self-assurance. Self-assurance pride. I got it. I can do it. I don't need help. I don't need you. I don't need your support, right? And that's our tendency. Reminds me of my vacation that I just got off of. We're in Colorado, where I don't even really know what city. We drove an hour and a half away from Buena Vista, which is where we were staying, and, and, and we're in this other city, and I should have had some pictures up here for you to see it. It was so gorgeous, but I, didn't, I don't want you to be jealous of the 70-degree weather and the 40-degree weather at night. Don't be jealous of what we just walked through. It was amazing. But um, we get to this lake, and it's like a postcard. You look out at it, and you're just like, this is just too picturesque. It doesn't look real. And we had our kids here, me and Estelle and the kids and some other people that were with us, and we're going to hike around the lake. It's about a two-hour hike. And it's not a very treacherous hike. Uh, It was very doable for a person who's out of shape. And so we're walking around in little Lincoln, my little Lincoln, he's five years old. Uh, there's some spots where you have some rocks you got to walk over and some water you got to get around. And, and Lincoln was having no help from us. He had his little hiking stick, his little hiking stick and his open-toed shoes, which we should have done differently, but open-toed shoes and hiking stick. And, and he doesn't want any help. So we try to help him. We say, Lincoln, watch out, be careful here. Let me carry you over here. This is what Lincoln says. Lincoln says this: I'm Mountain Man Lincoln. <laughs> this is what he said. I'm Mountain Man Lincoln. I am a good mountain climber. And this is what he said: good mountain climbers don't fall. That's what he said. I'm like, great, buddy. <laughs> And I think, I think Jesus is saying to Peter and the other ten, Love one another, as I've given you an example to follow. And Peter, like Lincoln, is saying this. He's saying, I'll do it my way. I got it. I don't need help. Just tell me where you're going. I don't need your advice. And honestly, you know what Peter is really thinking? Love one another. You know what Peter really thinks about the the other ten? Do you want to know? We can know. I think he's saying, I don't need those other guys anyway. How do I know that? Look at Matthew 26, Matthew's account of this upper room discourse. Peter, Jesus says that they were going to fall away. Peter says this. He says, he answered Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Can Can you imagine that room? Same room, same discussion. The 11 are in there. Jesus starts talking about falling away. You're going to deny. You're going to fall away. And Peter stands up. He looks at the 10. And I can imagine he points, though they all fall away, I got this. I'll never fall away. I'm mountain man Lincoln. I'm mountain man Peter. I got it. I don't need those guys. I don't need them. I'm doing it. I'll be on my own. Isn't that so much how we are? love one another. I don't need you, You right? That's what we think. I don't need you, Pastor Ben. You don't need me. I got my life. I do my thing. I just come here for an an hour and a half, maybe two hours on Sunday. Uh, I I, I don't really, you know, this is just my thing that I come every now and then. I'm, I'm good. I'm mountain man, fill in the blank. It's not true. It's not true. We need each other we need each other. So so, so what's the good news for the Peters and the Lincolns here today? We're Peter, we're Lincoln, right? What's the good news? I think Sinclair Ferguson answers this question in his book, Lessons from the Upper Room. Listen to what Sinclair says. Chapter 13 of John pinpoints the needs and the failures of a disciple who, notwithstanding, really did love his Lord, speaking of Peter. For such, Christ shed his precious blood, It was for the Simon Peters that he laid down the garments of glory, became a servant, bore the burden of our sin, and rose and ascended in majesty. It was so that the Simon Peters and all those like him might join him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The good news is that Jesus laid down his life for those who think they don't need him who those who think that they don't need his commands, those who don't think they need his word, those that are self-assured, those that are proud, those that are arrogant, those that are ignorant, right, he died for us. That's the good news in the whole story. The good news is that Jesus is patient with us in our weaknesses. The good news is that Jesus did what we could not do. He did what we could not do. The good news is that Jesus calls us to the way of love, and that he alone is the one who's ever done it in perfection. That's the good news. So the call today as we conclude, here's the call. The call today for us, like Peter, like Lincoln, like me, like you, we're called to this new commandment to love each other as Christ demonstrated his love towards us. And we know we're weak, we know we're frail, we know we're going to... Struggle to gossip and backbite. We know we're going to struggle to believe the worst before believing the best. We know we're going to struggle in all these areas as a family. But the call is, is to fall on the only one who can change our heart and work his love in us and through us through chapter 14 of John through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We can't do it in our own strength. It's through the power of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work over the next few weeks through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I want to end like this. I want to end reading the way of love. In your Bibles, it may be titled that, the way of love, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the way of love. Jesus is the only one who perfectly demonstrated this way. This is the way of love. One another as I loved you. How did Christ love us? Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Amen? The way of love, the way of Christ.